All right, so this is my Aunt Wendy's fault. So my aunt who lives in Seattle, God help her, sent me this book this week. This is a commentary from 1890 on Daniel and Revelation. I just had a chance to crack it open this morning and just was reading its comments on where we are in Revelation 18 this morning. But this is a quote from 1851. What's your, what's your, what is your opinion of 1851? You think pretty, uh, you know, pretty morally strong in comparison to today's culture? What do you think, yeah? You know, I, I thought anything 1950s and before growing up, I mean, you got Leave it to Beaver on TV, uh, you know, anything that was gray and silver on the movie screens and all that kind of stuff, like they had their act together. Like society was awesome 1950 and prior, right? And it's the 1960s that messed everything up. Is that your vantage point? That was, that was my understanding growing up. And then, you know, I become a believer in Christ and get exposed to the world and the word and realize that human beings have been messed up since the beginning. Listen to this. This is from 1851. The world, commercial, political, and ecclesiastical are alike and are together going in the broad way that leads to death. Politics, commerce, and nominal religion all connive at sin, reciprocally aid each other, and unite to crush the poor. Falsehood is unbl unblushingly uttered in the forum and in the pulpit. And sins that would shock the moral sensibilities of the heathen go unrebuked in all the great denominations of our land. These churches are like the Jewish church when the Savior exclaimed, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. It is certainly no better now. Continues with another quote. Robert Atkins, in his sermon preached in London, says, I have no idea who he is and what time, but earlier than 1890, all right? The truly righteous are diminished from the earth, and no man layeth it to heart. The professors of religion of the present day in every church are lovers of the world, conformers to the world, lovers of creature comfort, and aspirers of respectability. They are called to suffer with Christ, but they shrink even from reproach. Apostasy, apostasy, apostasy is engraven on the very front of every church, and they did not know it. And did they feel it, there might be hope, but alas, they cry, we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I start that because here's, here's comments from a couple of individuals 150 years before our time. And as they look out at the culture in which they live, the outside culture, the culture of the church, there's all of this yuck. There's all of this blending. There's this merging between the world and the body of Christ. And again, we, as we've sat in Revelation, especially with Jesus' words in chapters 2 and 3, he gives us specific warning in, in regards to submitting ourselves and taking on the flavors of the outside when he has called us out of that into a relationship with himself. 
And I bring this up as an introduction this morning. So as we are studying Revelation, every single, as, as we've traveled, I've been intentional to make sure that in my mind, my heart, my prayers, I'm studying as I'm thinking about what to convey, that it, this is all about Jesus. We could spend years studying this document, and I could still feel like I'm not doing it justice as we study it together on a Sunday morning. So I've tried to keep a really high perspective from that very first verse that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is something that God the Father gave to the Son to give to an angel that came and gave it to the church, and he has preserved it so that not just we today in 2021 can sit in these words, but that the body of Christ for the last 2,000 years until Jesus returns sits in his revelation. So when we sit in chapter 17 and 18 of this prophecy, it's all focused on this entity called Babylon, which I mentioned last week that as you go and you sit in the book of Genesis and after the flood, as human population is reproducing in the world, we have this list of 70 nations in Genesis chapter 10. At the founding of the nation of Babylon, there's this city called Babel. There's another city called Nineveh, of which Nimrod was the founder and all that he represents. And then in Genesis 11, we are told that man, as, as they are trying to unite together in their own governments, in their own minds, in their own systems, they seek to build themselves a city, which is related to government, culture, structure, and they seek to build a tower, which is to the heavens, which is the emphasis is upon what they are choosing to worship, which was the cre creation rather than the creator. So you sit in Babylon. Babylon is mentioned more than any other city in the Bible other than Jerusalem itself. When you sit in the biblical translation of what Babel means, it means confusion. Human, is, human beings confused government. They confused religion. They confused culture. God uh, confused the languages so that man could not stay united but gave us... Uh, divisions where we would not understand one another because when we understand together, when human beings, uh, when we get together, we just increase sin, unfortunately, unless God has freed us from that. So that's this biblical definition of Babylon, uh, this idea of confusion, but for the culture of Babylon, in their language, the word is the gate of the gods. So when you sit in this, where we're sitting in Revelation 17, and you have this declaration of this woman that is riding the beast, and again, we have this emphasis that the woman is focused upon uh, religion and false religion and this idea that all religion that takes us away from God is adultery in that relationship between God and his creation. Her name is, says uh, Babylon the Great. Again, this great, this gate of the gods, this, this foundation in humanity of turning away from what is true to turning away from religion that is based upon the ideas of men. And we watch that all throughout history, throughout every single human culture, the corruption of the government system, the corruption of culture, the corruption of true religion, all of it finds its roots in this entity that God calls Babylon. 
And I just hit a roadblock. As we go on to chapter 17, well, here's, here's the main idea of in this, this is where I was going to go. So in Babylon, when you sit in the Old Testament prophecies, so specifically Isaiah 13 and 14, so Isaiah is, you know, 150 years before God uses Babylon to come into Judah, destroys the temple, takes the culture away in slavery. So Isaiah 13 and 14 is a specific prophecy against Babylon, future at that point. Isaiah 21 is another. Isaiah 52 is another, specifically in Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is a prophet during the time that God is bringing the Babylonians in. It's a first person witness to all of the horrors that are going on. Uh, Jeremiah 50 and 51 are specific prophecies against Babylon also. So as we sit in Revelation 17 and 18, there's a lot of Old Testament information that flows into that. And when I first became a believer, this is, you know, Saddam was still a thing in Iraq and Saddam was seeking to, one of his desires was to rebuild Babylon. So when I first became a believer and was first introduced to this material that, you know, there was very literal interpretations like Babylon, it's going to be a physical city, it's going to be physically rebuilt, and all of this is literal. Saddam's not a thing anymore, nobody's trying to rebuild, you know, this mega city on, on the, the, the foundations of old Babylon. So when we sit in this information, a lot of it seems to be, again, the, the, the heart and it's the deceptive heart of Satan himself that has flowed into humanity as humanity has believed that his deceptions, his schemes. And this is why I'm sitting in like, Lord, I am praying specifically that he would free my mind from the deceptions that I still believe in. The lies in regards to this culture in which we live, the lies that I believe about God that are not true according to his word, the lies that I tell myself as I interact with other human beings to elevate myself rather than to humble myself, right? We all sit in deceptions to some fashion. So he promises to free us from deception, that he leads us in truth, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And we look to him for freedom from Babylon. Because as we sit in Babylon, the, the comment that I just read from the 1890s, they, these individuals are commenting on the religion of the day and they're looking at the Roman Catholic Church and everything that it re represented in regards to apostate Christianity. And then you sit in the Reformation and all the denominations that came out of the Reformation, how they're just the offspring of the papal church itself because they were doing all the same things that the Roman Catholic Church was doing. So here's all this apostate religion and all throughout history, you've had people who are reading the word of God and they look at, they read this. And in fact, I read a quote last week, somebody that was a Catholic and this, this was an old quote, so who knows if it's real or not, but the idea is shocking. And it said that this individual was reading the gospels for the very first time and he got mad and he threw the Bible across the room and he says, either the Bible is false or my religion is false. But, but think about that. Where did you learn about Jesus? Did you learn about Jesus from a man, from a system, from a doctrine, or did you learn about Jesus from the word of God? Don't follow people ever. You follow Jesus. And the only way that you can follow Jesus is if you sit in his words. Sit in the gospel. Wednesday nights, you know, we're just going through the gospel of Luke on Zoom. 
sitting around a proverbial table, reading a text, and just sitting in what the Gospels say about Jesus. It's an awesome discussion. But we're not sitting in somebody's doctrine. We're not sitting in somebody else's book. We're not sitting in somebody else's ideas. We're not sitting in a religion. We're sitting at the feet of our Savior and his brothers trying to encourage one another so that we can be free from everything and be completely and totally bound to Jesus and Jesus alone. And in this revelation, this snapshot, again, this is, I'm, I'm long-winded here because as the Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, Father, Son, and Spirit, as they are choosing to communicate to their followers, followers of the Almighty God, the choice of words and the choice of revelation to me is extremely important and it's extremely telling. Like here is God unveiling something to all of his followers and what he is unveiling is what he identifies, what he sees clearly as false religion. Here is this seductress. Here are these ideas, here are these philosophies, here are these practices that raise up, that well up from different cultures, different times in different ways, and they entice the culture away from the true and living God. And God takes himself and gives himself to his people. And as he does so, he gives them his words so that we can go out and the, and the other song, that we can scream it from the mountains. We're gonna listen to an angel screaming something from the heights today in Revelation. But he's unveiling what is true. And this is, this is uh, um, in Revelation 17, it brings up this idea that the inhabitants of the world were made drunk by the cup that this woman is offering. And again, the woman is, it's, it, the woman is false religion. It's, there's, it comes from man, it comes from women in different ways at different times. But here's, here's this fellowship of you drinking from the cup that I'm offering you and this, the ideas that come from it, they're inebriating. They sound good, they taste good. But what the result is ha that happens is that I am no longer sober-minded. I am no longer thinking. I'm no longer reasoning. I'm not asking God questions. I'm not asking God questions about myself and circumstances and relationships. I'm just feeding on whatever's being handed to me. Any of you sit in a news feed? I do. I sit in a news feed every single day. Whether it's Christian, whether it's of the world, I sit in a feed of information that comes into my life, that comes into my ears, that comes into my eyes, that I'm asking, God, God give me, give me the, the right filter so that the junk, that I'm not feeding on junk, that I'm not consuming something that's going to cause me to be inebriated and unthinking. So often what happens is we hear a tagline and what do we do with the tagline? We run without one line and we don't think about it and we don't know any of the background behind it. And I'm gonna use this as we look at this, this marrying of power and pleasure, as we look at this woman who is riding on the beast, the beast representing Satan's kingdom, the antichrist kingdom, his authority, his government, his structure, the woman is riding on top of it. The, the, the woman is being used. She's using, religion is using government. Government's using the religion, 
right? This is all the imagery that we are sitting in, but just in our news feed of the last couple of weeks sitting in Afghanistan, what are your thoughts on Afghanistan? Do you know anything about the history of Af- Afghanistan? I don't. I don't. I only know headlines. But in 10 minutes of research, in 10 minutes of reading, just get on Wikipedia and go look up Afghanistan. Go read about the Taliban. Do you know how long the Taliban have been around? It's like 1994 when I graduated from high school, 1995. They rose up for a specific cultural, governmental, and religious reason. The Taliban themselves, they represent a mash of Islamic religion, of historical, tribal, Afghan culture, and their philosophies in regards to what it means to run a government and what it means to rule over people. The Taliban themselves rose up as a result of civil war in Afghanistan. And one of the quotes that I just read is, it's, uh, you know, all of these, all of this, this blending of false religion and false government, who are the people who suffer? The powerless, the poor, women, and children. What's, what's our prayer for Afghanistan right now? God, save these kids. Save these women. Like they're sitting in poverty, famine. You know, you, I mean, when's the last time you read an article about famine and hunger in Afghanistan? I haven't read that in 20 years. What, what's the news feed? It's all, it's all about the war against terrorism. Because here's this culture that's breeding this hatred towards America. Well, why is Afghanistan a hot spot for hating Americans? Because the American government interjected themselves into that culture in the time of the Cold War against Russia as war, Russia was investing into the culture of Afghanistan. There's all this history in this culture that leads us up to the point where we are today. And everybody's pointing fingers at each other. Hatred. It's your fault. You should have done this. I mean, there, there's all these narratives out there that, to me, they are absent of the name of Jesus. And when I sit here and I think about this news feed, regardless of what it is, when I think about the information that I have to filter through every day, if I'm seeking to understand and to know and to think through who Jesus Christ is, like I, I feel free, I feel at peace. Even for, do you know, I, and this, this is shocking to me because it's totally foreign to our culture. There is not a single church in the nation of Afghanistan. What? I think about what we're doing this morning. In freedom, we get to come in here laughing, Smiling, hugging, singing, all revolving around who our almighty God is. Like, I have an easy life. I have always had an easy life. I got good parents that love me. I got a good wife. I got good in-laws. I'm saved. I know the Lord. I've got a good job. I've got a great congregation. I've got no issues. I've always been my own worst enemy in my life. My life is easy. 
And now I've got to think about and pray about, and Lord, what do you want us to do? How do, how do you help a believer in the nation of Afghanistan? The statistics I read said that there are less than 1,000 believers in Jesus in a nation of 30 plus million people. What? And as there's this withdrawal of troops and as there's this resurgence of a, a and again, this is, this is why, you know, this is news of the day and at the same time, it's very applicable to where we are in Revelation. This is a religion that is sourced in mystery Babylon. This religion of the Taliban, this religion of Islam, it is of this woman that is identified as a harlot. She has produced these thoughts. This is a religion of man, not a religion of God. This is a religion of demons and the devil, period. And that's hatred for God, the Almighty God, and for the Almighty God's followers is the behavior that we watch in a culture like that. Lord, how do, how do, we, how do we invest in? Those, those as, as the militaries are withdrawn and this, this entity is welling back up and it's going to crush and it's going to persecute um, in a lot of different ways, you know, there's believers that are intentionally choosing to remain. And this, this is one of the, this isn't, you don't stand on the street corner and preach Jesus. Anybody that you mention the name Jesus to, you are placing your life in full trust into your almighty God because if they turn you in, you're going to get your head cut off. And this is the scenario that we're sitting in as we go through all of Revelation. Like this is what the end times culture is going to look like globally. So why does Jesus unveil this? So that we can come out and so that we can be free, so that we can not be blind and inebriated and intoxicated by lies in our own flesh. In 18, so in 17, it's the, you know, the discussion of Babylon, it's focused on that that false religion aspect. This morning, we're going to sit in more of the economic, cultural, government aspect of Babylon. Let's read these first few verses. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Again, this angel is reflecting the glory of God, illuminating the earth, and listen to this, and he cried mightily. That's a King James word of he screamed. Like just imagine this powerful angel illuminating this planet and reflecting the glory of God. And again, whether this is a literal future event or this is just part of this vision that is being given to John of this declaration, he is screaming with a loud, a great voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, destroyed, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Listen to this. All the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. It's talking about the citizens, the kings, of the earth, so the leadership have committed fornication with her, 
and the merchants, commerce, economics, economy, the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance, through the power of her sensuality, of her luxury. And this section, as this proclamation is, is being announced again, it's, it's been announced a couple times already, but here is the, the falling of Babylon. Here is God finally judging this entity in whether it's physical city, whether this is a spiritual representation of uh, the heart and the influence of Babylon. In 17, it, the, in chat, verse 2, said, um, he's talking in verse 1 about here's, here's gonna, what's going to be unveiled, revealed, is the judgment of the great harlot. Mystery Babylon sitting on the waters. The waters identified as people and multitudes later on in, verse, in chapter 17. But verse 2 says it's talking about the kings. Again, the leadership of the earth has committed fornication, committed adultery in this relationship. But the inhabitants of the citizens of the earth are made drunk. This is this idea of being intoxicated and inebriated, not being sober with what's called the wine of her fornication. Again, all this seductive behavior. And here, as economic Babylon, the economic side is being pronounced in its fall in chapter 18. Again, the idea of the nations, again, citizens, kings being leadership, and now this focus on the merchants. And this is where I'm sitting in worship this morning of, like, God, nothing's greater than you. Nothing's more important than you. And I'm, I'm meditating on that lyric as I know the text that we're going to stand in this morning and just sitting in meditation all this week. So what is it that you long for? Right, what are, what are your pursuits? And again, we have, to be, we have to be very cautious in not attributing a moral value to non-moral things. Like money has no moral reality whatsoever, but what we do with the money which God gives to us does have moral implications. The lust for money, the desire to have more, is the root of all kinds of evil, we're told in the Word of God. But we're gonna get to this, we're gonna get to this verse in a minute where it says, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. So as I'm sitting in just the economic, economics is it's this study of our social behavior in regards to what it is that you want, because what it is that you want is what it is that companies produce and distribute to you. So the ec economics is the study of that. What's being produced, how it's being produced, how it's distributed, and what's the demand for that product or service. So, back to Afghanistan. What's Afghanistan's number one export? Opium. What's opium used for? Morphine, is morphine a good thing? Anybody ever had surgery where you need some morphine to kill the pain? So it's, a, it's an opiate, and then it's also used for what? Illegal drug, heroin. So Afghanistan supplies economically about 80% of the world's opium. It's their major export. And the Taliban and the government there is interested in continuing to produce it. Why? 
because the government gets taxes from the goods that are sold. So can you see this, this marriage between a government and how you run a government, how a government is run, and the products and services that are sold? We can sit in our own nation, we can sit in any nation of the world, but uh, to finish this thought, you have the supply side of it there in Afghanistan, but why does it find its way to the streets in America as heroin? Because our citizens have a demand for that product. And if Afghanistan doesn't supply it, and Americans still have a hunger for heroin, who's gonna stand in that gap? Another supplier. It's the study of economics. It's the study of social behavior. So, all of the heroin could be produced. You know, I mean, you could produce as much of it as you want, but if there's no supply for it, what's going to happen? There's no supply for it. There's no effect of it. You know, this is where we engage in those things that we long for. So, getting back to just our normal everyday products, there, there is no way for any of us to be free from immoral behavior when it comes to economics, just so you know. You can't boycott one store and pretend like this store represents Satan and this next store over here that's their competitor doesn't have the same moral issues that the other store has. This one may be trying to champion immoral things to a lot greater degree than the other is, but what makes our economy go round and round? Is it just trying to supply the basic necessities of humanity? Or is it trying to stand in that gap and create a market for all kinds of things? What is it that you long for? What is it that you want somebody to produce for you? whether it's a product or it's a service, where do you spend your money? Where do you invest it? This is the thing. So anybody have a 401k account? Anybody? Anybody invested in mutual funds anywhere? So you take your dollar and you go throw it into a pot and that manager takes that pot of cash and goes and invests it in what? and specific pools of money and markets and you know, a portfolio of companies based upon different strategies. Do you know the moral values of every single one of the companies that your, your 401k is invested in? Nope. There, there, there is no escape from the system. We're all a part of the system. However, it's Lord, like what am I, what am I longing for in my heart and my mind? What, what is it that I'm saving for? What is it that I'm spending my money on? And again, every single one of us, we sit in our household economics, the economy of just your household, the economy of your heart. And this is what I'm talking, we can, we can in R2 engage in uh, our cultural economies, our national economy, the world economy, but I'm just talking about, Lord, just in the economy of my household and my relationship with you, what, what am I seeking to invest in? Paying college tuition for my daughter, do I, do I agree with the institution that she is going, that she's pursuing a degree at? My sons are gonna turn to college investigation and applications this year. Am I gonna write checks to an institution that's going to shove Babylon down my children's throat? Mm-mm. Lord, so give me awareness, Lord. Show me where my heart is longing for things that stand 
and rebellion to you. The abundance, the power for sensuality. Verse four, heard another voice from heaven saying, in my opinion, this is the voice of God. Come out of her, my people, lest she share in her sins, that she receive of her plagues, of her blows. And this again, this is God. I, I hear your voice. I hear you calling me out of religion that stands in opposition to you, that is filled with man's ways and man's traditions. I hear that call to follow you and you alone, Lord, so give me that freedom and give me that clarity. At the same time, I'm hearing you calling me out of the culture. The culture in which I live gives me permission in all these different categories where another culture and another time may not grant that permissions, but here's my time, here's my culture. Here's what you were calling me out of, Lord. Like, let me hear your voice. And let me not be legalistic and holier than thou, Lord, but where he knows where I'm bound. He knows where I'm lusting for things that are apart from him. He knows where I'm meditating on, on things that are going to bring about sin and death in my life and not his life and his service. So, Lord, speak to me. And I'm praying that he speaks to each one of you. Like, Seriously, this is uh, one of my foundational understandings in my relationship with God is that just me as a human being, so this may not be your life story, but it's life, my, my life story. I was not a thinker before I had a relationship with Jesus. I was a regurgitator. So it was all of life for me was kind of like memorize the bold print and then go and take the test and get an A on the test. Don't think, just memorize the information and now go and do, like I really was not a free thinker. I just regurgitated what other people told me. My culture gave me permission what to do and I went and I did it and I was okay until the Holy Spirit came and gave me conviction. But as I stepped into a relationship with Jesus, do you know what he's led me to do for the last 22 years? Stop and think. Do I listen to that all the time? No. I run my mouth and I run my mind all the time. And I hear his spirit in me. Blake, chill out. Think. What's real? What's loving? What's kind? What have I already spoken about this circumstance, about this relationship? The sheep hear his voice. I'm a sheep and I'm a stupid one. I need to, him to lead me. I need him to feed me. I need him to wash me. I need him to shear me. He's my shepherd and he's a great shepherd and he's a good shepherd. He's a kind shepherd. I need his protection. I need the Lord to pick up that rungu that I showed you a couple months ago and hurl at the head of the enemy. Jesus, the door's for you. Would you deal with that lie? And give me your peace and give me your freedom. Come out of her. I'm your people, Jesus. I hear your call. Show me the way out. Her sins have reached, and this is, a, this is imagery of Babylon. The idea of reach is heaped up. It's literally like bricks being stacked on top of each other, that Tower of Babel. Babel's sins, Babylon's sins. Her sins have reached 
to heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities, her crimes. Render, repay to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she mixed. Mix double for her. So this is kind of opposite of the golden rule, right? Jesus says, whatever you want people to do to you, you go and do to them. You want somebody to love you, you love them. You want somebody to be nice to you, you be nice to them. You be me, Jesus says, in this relationship, in your life. Let me change you. Let me transform you. Here, it's this opposite. What Babylon has done to you, church, true followers of God, past, present, and future, with Jesus, we are going to repay this entity double. And the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, sensually, in the same manner, give her torment and sorrow. She says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will utterly, be utterly burned with fire. The reason? Strong is the Lord God who judges her. That quotes out of Isaiah chapter 47, if my eyeballs say correctly, but there's a, another judgment against Babylon there where this is what Babylon is saying. There is no consequence for my sin. I am my own God. I have my own morals, my own principles, my own way of living life. Saying I am not a widow, a widow in this day would be it's, it's not a good life experience. So here Babylon is sitting as queen. I am not a widow. I am not childless. There will be no consequences. I will reign forever is this heart. And God says, nope, because I'm stronger than you are. And there is coming a day when my judgment is coming. God continues to speak. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and then lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, which is the King James way of saying, oi, whoa, whoa, that great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Again, chapter 17 of Revelation, that judgment of religious Babylon is seen to come at the middle of the tribulation. The government judgment, the economic judgment is seen to come at the end of the tribulation. This very final judgment in one hour, her judgment has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for no one buys their merchandise, their cargo anymore. And again, sit in the, sit in the economics, God's vantage point of immoral economy. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and bodies, emphasis upon slaves and souls of men. The fruit that your soul craved has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid, literally the fatty things and the shiny things have gone from you. You shall find them no more at all. 
Again, this is, you have to sit, this is, this is in immoral economic products and surface services that cultures, humanity demands to be supplied to them and what their souls are longing for and seeking after that is in conflict to who God is and what it is that God is doing in our lives. So again, you don't assign moral value to these list of products, the issues, the heart issue. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance. You know, they used to be in her and with her and doing business. Now they're standing at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, saying, woe, woe, that great city was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. And all, this is just all economic imagery that you can sit in. For in one hour, such great riches, such great wealth, came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many who trade on the city uh, sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of a burning, saying, what is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing. Oh, saying, woe, woe, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth for in one hour she is made desolate, destroyed. What happens when our stock market takes a downturn? Whoa, whoa. Do we not cry? To one degree or another, but as you sit in news feeds and economic scenario, were we all crying about gas like three months ago? Right? Like our, our supply chain has true impact in our daily lives. And here, yes, I'm mocking because I believe in a way God is mocking the heart that is lusting for all of these things, looking for fulfillment, looking for satisfaction. You crave something. You know what we ultimately crave? It's to see the glory of God. Every, every single longing that you have for in relationship, in love, in help, whether it's product, whatever it may be, ultimately that longing that we have in our heart, we long to be free from this life of sin and death and the wretchedness and our human hearts and culture, and we long to see Jesus face to face. And here's this final judgment coming from the Almighty God to religion, and government, and economics, and all of the cultural and social interactions that revolve around those relationships. Here's his judgment against all of that that stands in opposition to him. And all of this is ultimately sourced in Satan. Always has been, always will be, until God comes and judges. But what does he tell us to do? Rejoice, verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heavens, and you holy prophets, holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged her, judged you on her. 
So it's this contrast where here's this weeping and mourning for this great city and everything that Babylon represents. And here's the inhabitants of the earth that are, remember, and everything that we've already read in Revelation, they are refusing to repent, refusing to turn from God, remaining in their sins, and they are weeping at their loss. And the voice from God's throne tells us as his followers to rejoice. Why? Because all of that stuff, it's evil. Anything that I am longing for and craving for outside of Jesus is sin. And it will only bring about corruption in my life. Now I'm saying, I'm going to see Jesus for all eternity, right? Nobody has taken me out of his hands. But as I follow him, I can still allow the corrupting things of this world to influence my relationship. Last few verses here quickly. Then a mighty angel, another angel, takes up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with sudden violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpets shall not be heard in you anymore, Babylon. But where are they going to be heard? In the New Jerusalem. No craftsman or any craft shall be found in you anymore. Where will it be found? New Jerusalem. Sound of the millstone. The grinding, right, of, of the fruit of a plant for bread. The sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore, Babylon, but it will be in the New Jerusalem. Verse 23, the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. What's going to be shining in the New Jerusalem for all eternity? The glory of God is the light of eternity. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore, but who's the bridegroom? Voice of Jesus for all eternity is going to be heard. Who's the bride? You and me, the church, our voice will be heard in the New Jerusalem for all eternity. For your merchants were the great men, the very important men of the earth, all these men and women that we attribute all this importance to just because they are powerful in pocket and in their business. For by your sorcery, your magic, all the nations of the earth were deceived, led astray. And again, this is getting to the heart of the revelation that he's given. And what does God see in Babylon? In her was found the blood of the prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Heavenly Father, we turn to you to show us the path out of deception. We look to you, Jesus, to show us daily what it means to be free and have liberty in you. I'm asking for freedom from the governments of this world that I am a citizen of. 
I'm asking for freedom from the economy, Lord, that offers me products and services, ideas, things that tell me just by having this simple drink in my hands, I shall have a life of happiness and joy from the buzz that it gives to me. Lord, free us from all of that marketing. And let us hear your message shouted from the mountaintops. Lord, we're asking that you would illuminate us right now with your glory, with your truth, with you. I don't want to sit in my mind and my heart and my ideas and my ways, Lord. This is why this is why we study your word together. So that we'll know what's true. Lord, you are the God who created the heavens and the earth, and there's, there's individuals that are in here this morning, Lord, that are, their minds are, are locked away in different deceptions, and we're praying for the power of your spirit to enter in and to unlock those cages this morning. There's some, Lord, that are just sitting in shame. They can't believe they've done this or that. May they know your love and your cleansing. May they see you and, and feel you and know you and understand you and turn to you and hope in you, Lord. So we sit in our news feed. Jesus, may you be the filter for all of that information that we consume every single day. Don't allow into our minds and our hearts to, to, to feast upon and to meditate upon lies, Lord, and hatred. We pray for the human beings that are in Afghanistan, Lord. We pray for those that we would define as our enemy. Manifest yourself to them, Lord. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are there to share the gospel, to be a light, Lord. Give them strength, protect them, lead them in the conversations that they have. Lord, for the children and the women that are being abused, Lord. Help. And as your kids, as your children, we're asking that you lead us down your path in righteousness and justice and kindness and compassion and peace and in power. Show us how, Lord. Show us what we're supposed to do. You are God, and we trust you with all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.